Thank you, Hunter and Rachel. Appreciate that. You know, it's <clears throat> just, I so much enjoyed just worshiping with you guys and being a part of this. And then to know next door, our kids worshiping too. In fact, uh, Hunter usually goes over there for a little bit and helps them with their worship time also. So God's doing some good things in our church, and so I'm glad you guys are here today. Um, you know, and I like, it's kind of weird. I, get, I, I really like the songs that, you know, get, get us going and charge and stuff, but every once in a while, it's nice to have songs that are more contemplative and just reminding us uh, and just getting the words to set in sometimes. And sometimes it amazes me just when I think about what I just sang to God and going like, wow, the depth of that. So good, good stuff. All right. Uh, getting into the message today for the past two weeks, we've, de- we've, we've been doing a, a, a little detour into 1 Corinthians because we left Paul in Corinth there, and we've, we've looked at some principles for how we behave as Christians when engaging with our culture. And I want to say, we, if you're having trouble following how I did, I'm sort of summarize today. We're going to wrap up things with this today. But we're going to take what we learned so far, and you could kind of put it into a flow chart to help you figure out how to behave in the world. Now, if you're not an engineer or something like that, you may not be familiar with flow charts. You probably learned them in the 10th grade and you've forgotten all about them. So I've got an example of a flow chart for us to look at right here. So this one is the, the, the handyman's flow chart. Red has probably used this one many times, okay? So the question is, does it move? If it's yes, then you ask, should it move? If it's yes, no problem. If it's no, you use duct tape on it so it doesn't move anymore. If it doesn't move and it shouldn't, no problem. But if it doesn't move and it should, WD-40. So there you go. Now, if you're not a handyman, you don't get that. But, um, but trust me, that's what we all live with, all right? If you long got WD-40 and duct tape in your toolbox, you're probably going to be okay. But that's just a simple, silly example of a flowchart. I wanted you to kind of see that. So, but in a similar but more serious way, we can take the principles we've learned so far and use them as filters or guides to help us figure out our behavior Sort of like maybe like a computer program, if you like that term better, a computer program for our hearts and lives. And so uh, I've got on this slide here, that's a picture, that's my very first computer right there. That was called a Televideo Luggable. And for younger people, you're not going to get this, but yes, that was like a a little tiny TV screen there. And the lid folded up, the the keyboard folded up and became the handle, and you could handle, and it was like a a carry-on size suitcase. That's what it was there, all right? But so that's my, to let you know, just to kind of remind you of my age, but so using this televideo luggable, uh, let's kind of look at this principle for a little bit. So two weeks ago, we looked at this principle right here, what I call the mastery test. And it's from 1 Corinthians 6, 12. And in it, Paul writes, in that verse, Paul writes, everything is permissible for, permissible for me, but, I will, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And so here's the principle with this mastery test. If a habit or an activity you're involved with has control over you, then it's wrong. If it doesn't have control over you, it's probably okay. Not necessarily, but probably okay. That's, we're really choosing this to filter, so kind of go through. So does it have master over you? Yes. Then it's wrong. Stop it. Okay? Slap it with duct tape. Make it don't move anymore. It's not going anywhere, all right? But if it doesn't have mastery over you, you go down to the next level then. And so... Now, this one's a, probably a pretty general thing. It's, it's kind of hard to be specific. In fact, as I go over these, I want you to know, as a pastor, I would rather preach on things where I could say, do this, don't do that. This is, I wish this was kind of the thing about share your faith, don't cheat on your spouse. I, I wish we could, you know, I wish it was that kind of thing where it's really black and white. 
this is really where we deal in what's kind of the more gray areas of life. Some of these things we're going to talk about are very black and white for me, but they might not be for some other Christian. And so these are guidelines to help us sort of figure that out. Uh, so let's, let's go to the next. All right, so as we look about it and we add all these together, they become a pretty reliable tool for checking ourselves and our activities. So in that same message two weeks ago, we also looked at the temple test. The temple test is in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. And it says this, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, who you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. We all know that Jesus died on the cross for us. That was the price we were bought with. And we remind ourselves at that point, God's grace is free, but it was not cheap. It cost the life of Jesus. But here's the principle for that. If something is bad for your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit, then it's wrong for you. Now, that could include more things than just for your body. That also could include your mind, your heart. These are all functions in the Hebrew mind of your body and, and what it means. So let's look at a couple of these maybe for possibilities here. All right, I know I'm going to get some people upset with this one, but I need to just mention, okay, because it is somewhat subjective. Let's talk about for your body being overweight. Now, you guys are going to think I'm crazy, but, but I am literally, my doctor tells me I'm about 15 pounds overweight. I'm just over 200 pounds. And that is... That is a lot because I'm only 5'9". So I probably need to lose about 15 pounds. However, for me, that's what I need to do. But there might be somebody in the same situation that their thing is don't, they don't need to lose the 15 pounds. They just need to tone up the 15 pounds. And so, you know, I could lose the 15 pounds or if I toned it up a little bit here, you know, uh, then I might, you know, it, anyway, we won't get into that. But um, <laughs> let's just say... You know, why do I wear baggier clothes so that you can, so it's not easy to tell that I, that I need to lose the pounds. But, but that idea that if food has control over me, if, I'm, if, if it's something's bad for my body, then it's probably wrong. And they say, is overeating wrong? Yeah, it really is. And for some, it's more serious than others. So that is something that you say, that, that doesn't sound like that's really a Jesus thing. Yeah, it is. Because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you need help with that, talk with Mark. Mark's made me feel more guilty than I've ever made him feel guilty up here, okay, with the stuff that he's talked about. But if you don't know Mark, get to know him or, or stay away from either one, whichever one is more comfortable with you. I got to, that's not in my notes. I got to quit doing things. I, you should sit back further, Mark, so I'm not picking on, so I'm not seeing you, all right. Um, but there are some things that are pretty clear in black and white. Let's take, for example, pornography. Pornography is bad for your body because it messes with your mind, gentlemen. You know what, and you can, no matter how many times you clear your browser history, it doesn't clear your mental history and your emotional history. And that's just bad for you. So this, just by that temple test right there, you say it's not harming anybody. Yes, it is. It's harming you, and it's harming your temple of the Holy Spirit. So those are just two examples of how this one can be, can be played out. So again, that's another thing. You say like, well, pornography doesn't have a mastery over me, but it's bad for your body. Or you can say, food doesn't have mastery over me, but you're still not eating healthy. Yeah, but I can choose whether it helps. Yeah, still. You know, so those are a couple of examples there. So let's go to the third one here. We did this one last week. This is what I call the brother or sister test. And it was found in 1 Corinthians 8, 13. And in verse 13, Paul writes, Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to, to fall, I will never eat meat again, so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. And this principle tells us that our actions must not hurt or hinder the spiritual growth of a younger or less mature Christian. 
And the biblical example they looked at was the eating of meat that had been sacrificed to idols. So a, a modern-day equivalent of that we talked about, and this, again, might, maybe for you, maybe not for somebody else, might be participating in Halloween activities. There are probably certain Halloween activities you can participate in, and it's just a cultural thing that's not going to bug anybody. But there's certain things you probably shouldn't do because it might cause younger Christians to kind of worry, like, is there really something with witches or demons or, or something that, 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 I'm, that this person's involved with? So you don't want to do anything that's going to make people, younger Christians, falter or stumble because of those kinds of things. So that's just a few of this, the first three things in our little test system here. Today we're going to look at two more. We're going to wrap up this idea of things that should help us to, lim- to learn whether we should limit our freedom that we have in Christ. And the first of these is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 19 through 23. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. We've got it on the screen here. It's also in your pew Bibles there. So follow with me as we're reading from the Christian Standard uh, Bible. Uh, Though I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. And he puts this parenthetical statement here. Though I myself am not under the law, but I did this to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law. Though I'm not without the law, but under the law of Christ. To win those without the law. To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessings. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word today, I am just thankful for what you put Paul through and how you gave him the wisdom to write these words to us. And Father, while we may not understand fully what it was like for Paul in that first century, we pray today that by engaging with your word and your spirit today, we may understand better here in the 21st century how we are to behave, how we are to act, so that we can live lives that glorify you, that lead others to you, and that help us be the people you've called us to be individually and as Fresno Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, before we get into this passage, I want to address first what this is not about. It's really easy to misunderstand this, so let's just what this passage is not about. This passage is not about being soft on sin, so, just so we don't offend people. All right? It's not about lying to people or pretending that sin is not a bad thing. So it's not about that, so you don't, you're not going to hear me saying that today. Um, it's also not about excusing sin on our part so that we say we're just trying to fit in with the non-Christians around us. So Paul said, even though Paul said, to the Jew I became like a Jew, or to the weak I became weak so that I might win the weak, Paul would never say, to the murderer I became a murderer so that I might win the murderers. Or to the racist, I became a racist so that I might win racists. That Paul just wouldn't do that, okay? So it's not about sin at all, but it's about that area where it's unclear whether how much we are to engage in the culture to be able to win that culture and how much we need to stay separated from it so that's what it's about so let's look at this so if you want to sum up what this passage is about i would say it's this it's about letting nothing stand in the way of your sharing the gospel message with those who need it 
That's what we're talking about today. Let nothing stand in your way to share the gospel message with those who need it. So the first principle I see in this is, Paul says we are free to give up our freedom for the sake of others. The Bible has a lot of things that just seem like paradoxes. It just seems like they don't fit together, but that one's really true. We are free not to do whatever we want, but we are free to give up our freedom for the sake of others. Now, this is interesting coming from Paul because we've already seen that Paul was the apostle of freedom. Paul was definitely the one that said, basically, Gentiles, you don't need to follow the Jewish laws. I am free from the law. Jesus has done away with that, and we don't have to worry about it anymore. That there's, there's no works you can do that are going to help you become a Christian. Jesus has done it all. I don't care how much you give to the church. I don't care how much you fast. I don't care how much you, you pray. I don't care how much you read your Bible. None of that is necessary to be in a relationship with Jesus. Now, we all do those things for good reasons, to grow in our relationship with Jesus, but you don't have to do them. There is no law of God that says you've got to do those things. So Paul was definitely on the side of freedom. In fact, Paul would definitely have been one of the people that said, hey, I'm over, I'm over to Gentiles' house, and they offer me food offered to idols, then I'm probably going to eat it, unless there's a good reason not to. Now, if i got young Christians around that's bothering them, I'm not going to do it. But Paul was definitely one for freedom. Paul talked about that several times. In fact, in the book of Galatians, this is interesting. Paul wrote uh, in the book of Galatians that he had to stand up to Peter face to face because Peter at one point backed away from the idea of freedom. Here's what he wrote in Galatians 2.16. He says, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what we preach in this church. That's what we preach. Okay? Um, I've used this, this illustration before, but I think it's so important I want to bring it back. There's a, I'll, I'll do the short version of it, but a story, I understand true story about a guy back in the you know, horse and buggies days and was trying to get to a revival at a church service. From, he was from out of town. He heard these great things happening, and he wanted, so he made his way across several states to get to this church where this great revival was going on. And he got there, the revival was over by the time he got there. And he walked into the church, and there was somebody cleaning up the church. And he said, he said, um, am I too late for the revival? He goes, yeah, you're too late. It's, it's the, the service has already ended. And he goes, well, says, is, so, but, but I want to, but, but, but I need, what can I do to be saved? And the guy said, it's too late. And he said, what do you mean it's too late? He says, it's too late. You can't do anything because Jesus has already done it. You can be saved, but it's too late for you to do anything about it. For you to do anything to be saved, you just got to accept Jesus. And he could say, well, that's doing, yeah, but not in the Jewish ver version of doing the law, okay? So, so get that. So that's what Paul's saying there. We are totally free in Christ. That was Paul's default stance. But Paul says there are times when Paul participated in activities of the Jewish law so that he would not offend other Jewish people and so that he might be able to tell them about Jesus. And we see some examples of that. We didn't, didn't get to it in Acts yet, but in Acts chapter 18, verse 18, right after Paul left Corinth, it says Paul shaved his head because he had made a vow. And most scholars think that that was a, a version of the Nazarite vow from the Old Testament. So Paul was involved in a Nazarite or an, a Jewish traditional thing as a part of a vow that he made. And a little few chapters later, in chapter 21, verse 22, Paul went through the Jewish rites of purification. And he went and offered sacrifices at the temple. Now remember that Paul was raised in strict Judaism. Paul was a Pharisee. 
And so Paul had learned to be a strict adherent of the law. And so there's probably some truth that Paul found some, some, some meaning in offering the temple sacrifices and in going through the purification rites. It probably meant something to him. But he says very clearly, I didn't do it so that to be saved, I did it to be like the Jews so that I could win the Jews. He did it to make, in fact, they even said, do these things so that the people in Jerusalem won't reject you, so that they will give you a listen, that they will hear what you're saying about Jesus. And that's exactly what he meant when he said to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. Now, to make it clear to the readers, he sort of restated that too. If you look back at that passage, he says to the Jews, I became a Jew like a Jew so that I may win the Jews. Then he says to those who are under the law, that's just a restatement of the Jewish people. They were under the law. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. And then he says again, though I'm really not under the law, but I still acted like one under the law to win the people who are under the law. So you see what he means there. So, so basically, um, think of it this way. For example, if I, um, if I were going to a church back in the south where I grew up, if I, if I were doing that and I were going to preach, I would probably be up here on a coat and, in a coat and tie. Because back in the South, you go to church on Sunday morning, almost every man, uh, at least half the men are going to be in a coat and tie. And so I would wear a coat and tie. Do I have to wear a coat and tie to be an authoritative preacher? No, I don't. But there, I would definitely do it. I would not dare get up in the pulpit without a coat and tie on because people wouldn't take it as seriously. All right. I do now. I do one thing. I do wear long sleeves. I remember Mona saying one time she was surprised I had arms because I'm always in long sleeves here. That's just me being comfortable. Okay. That's uh, that's me. I, I've learned the less of me that's exposed, the better for everybody. All right. So so gonna go arms. But but again, it's it's part of what you do to fit into the culture. There are times that you do that, and that is okay. But then Paul also flips the argument around, and he says it flows in both directions. I became like a Jew under the law to win those under the law. But to those who aren't under the law, then I was like one not under the law. So he says, but he even kind of changes that around a little bit. He says, you know, I said earlier, I acted like one under the law, even though I'm not under the law. Well, these guys act like I'm not under the law. But, you know, come to think of it, I really am under a law, the law of Christ. Now, we don't know exactly what Paul meant by the law of Christ. He doesn't go into de detail to it, but there are a couple of things I think it could, meant, could, could have meant. On the one hand, he could have just basically said, I'm under the law of love. Christ loved us, and I should, I should love other people. In fact, Jesus even told us to do that in John 15, 12. These are the words of Jesus. He says, this is my command. Love one another just as I have loved you. So that's exactly what you need to do. I have... I have, I have, I loved you the same way I loved you, you love other people. And so Paul could have been talking about the law of Christ there being, I need to do this to help the people because I love them, because Jesus loved them. Boy, wouldn't that change our evangelism, the way we share the gospel a lot, if we really saw people the way Jesus sees them? I'll admit, man, there are times it's hard for me sometimes. When I, um, I'll admit sometimes, there, there are times that, okay, I'll admit I'm bad here. There are times when I'm sitting driving in the speed limit and I see somebody flying by and there's my temptation to change lanes to cut them off just to say, what is wrong? All right, that's not loving people. 
all right? That's also stupid, all right, because that could cause an accident. But there are times, and you could think of whatever it is that, 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 that ticks you off, all right? That people are, you know, that, that are doing something that you think is wrong. Um, man, I, I read about somebody hurting a kid the other day, and there's just part of me that's like, man, I'm, I'm not a huge... I'm not a huge capital punishment fan. I'm not for it or against it. I just, I'm not comfortable with it. But there's times to me I think just like, you know, just throw them into a, to a pit with, you know, snakes and just let them eat them alive or something. You know, there's just, I, I just, somebody hurt a kid like that. But that's not loving people the way that Jesus loved. I'm not saying don't ever punish people, but I'm saying we need to look at them the way Jesus looked at them. That even those people that are really messing up, Jesus died for them just like he died for us. And so that's what Paul's saying. I try to identify sometimes with these people, help them understand so I can love them the way that Jesus loved them. So that might be what he meant by the law of, love, by the law of Christ. But I think he was referring to something a little bit more deeply, a little bit more deep than that. Because I think he was saying, I'm under the law of Christ. He was really talking about, I'm under Christ's control. When I became a Christian, I became free from the law, but now I'm subject to the laws that Jesus put down. I have willingly submit myself to do what Jesus says to do. I think Paul was referring to the fact that he now had Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Master. In fact, we always talk about Lord Jesus. You know, that's just the the Greek word for boss. That's all it is. It's exactly what it is, just the word for boss. So Jesus was his boss, his master, that he was very much a servant of Christ. In fact, that's how Paul refers to himself many, many times. In fact, uh, uh, Hunter's been preaching out of Romans, and in Romans 1, 1, the very first verse, Paul refers to himself. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Very first verse of Philippians, Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. Very first verse of Titus. Paul writes, Paul, a servant of God. I say, well, servant, that doesn't sound so bad. Servant people accept that in the culture in which Paul lived. Servant was the same thing as slave. In fact, the Greek word for servant there is doulos, which is exactly the same word for slave. So the better word would have been bond slave. A bond slave was somebody who wasn't like captured in a war and forced to be a slave, but it was a person who says, I because I owe you, I am submitting myself to work for you. I am under bond to you. I have become your slave. You own me now because I have a debt to you. So that was sort of the way it worked there. And Paul says, I have a debt to you because you paid my debt for sin on the cross. So I'm willingly submitting myself to you in thanks for the debt that you have paid for me. And it really was the same thing as being a slave. In the first century, There was no difference between being a servant and being a slave for all practical purposes. So because he was under the law, he was free to behave like one who was not under the law, under the Jewish law. Because he was under the law of Christ, he had freedom not to be under the law of the Jews so that he could share the gospel with non-Jewish people. Yes, as we said before, he could eat the meat offered to idols, It was offered by non-Jewish people. Unless, it gets more complicated, one more thing he says. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak, to the Jews I became Jewish, to win the Jews, to the, I mean, I got that backwards, I I just, just blew the lead right there. 
to the to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became under the law to win those under the law. To those without the law, I became un- like one without the law to win those not, with, not under the law. And then he says, but also to the weak, I became weak so that I could win the weak. And he's saying basically, yes, I found my freedom, and I'll go and do those things and act under the Jewish law when I need to, act out of the Jewish law when I need to, but I'm also going to be concerned about the people who are weak that I mentioned earlier, and I'm not going to do anything to mess them up. Good example of that was there was I won't even mention the pastor. Some of you will know who it is, but there was a pastor who got sort of be the representation of the cussing pastor. He would cuss from the pulpit, and it was to identify with the people out there that use that kind of language. And I substitute teach. Listen, I know that some of these words, these kids. I mean, I don't kids use foul language right to my face, even when they know I'm a pastor as my regular job because those things have no meaning for them anymore. And so this one pastor was, was doing that to kind of show, I'm identifying with everybody, but it messed up a lot of people in his church. They began to think like, no, there's no, nothing, we can't do anything wrong with our language, but the Bible clearly says in many places, let nothing unhelp, unhealthy come out of your mouth. All right? Always let your words be words that build up, not words that tear down. Those are in the book of Ephesians. Paul wrote them himself. So you would never do anything that's going to mess somebody up. I'm never going to do anything that's going to offend a weaker Christian or a younger Christian or just a Christian who's struggling with a certain thing. And Paul says, that's what I did there. So sometimes I act as I'm under the law. Sometimes I act not under the law. Sometimes I change it all around because there are some other people around that's going to affect. And because of this, Paul may have seemed wishy-washy sometimes to some of the people. In fact, some people believe that's part of the reason why Paul wrote these, verse, these chapters here because his Corinthian critics have been asking him a lot of questions. One thing they said was, man, you change. You're different here than you are there. And Paul's saying, yeah, I am different, but here's the principles I'm following. There's a reason why I'm different here than I'm different there. Just like, again, with dress. This is what I'm using and aware when I'm in the pulpit. Uh, you know, but if I'm, when I go to youth group, I'm usually wearing jeans unless I come straight from school. All right, so, you know, that's, that's it. If we, you know, we're having baptismal services next week. Hunter's going to dress a little bit different when he gets in the baptistry. You change your clothes based on the situation. Paul said, I'll change some of the outward things I do to fit the situation, but I'm not being wishy-washy. I've got true reasons for it. Um, it's, it's adopting to, to culture. Now, we normally think of that as being something that just missionaries have to do, and if you've ever been on a mission trip or you've known some missionaries, you know that Missionaries will often adopt the manner of dress of the culture they're trying to evangelize. Now, they don't, uh, I have to be careful with that nowadays because people are always worried about cultural appropriation and stuff like that. Uh, but it's very common for missionaries to do that. I think it was Hudson Taylor, one of the early missionaries, that um, when he was working, he did his hair long and he dressed more like they did in Asian cultures uh, and began to wear some of the same clothes that they wore to fit in with it. It happens all the time. You guys know that I pastored for a while in a Korean church. And while I pastored in the Korean church, when I walked into a house, I took my shoes off. Every time. We did it at home, too, to fit into the culture. One of the things that was very common is when you, when you greet somebody in Korean culture, whether you're shaking hands or not, you would usually bow. And so I learned to bow and learn how to do it the proper way. It became a little bit of a problem for me. Sorry. Man, the older I get, the further it is down to pick things up. Um, that after I left the Korean church, I would still find my times, many times, meeting somebody and going, why am I 
bowing to this white guy. He didn't even know what I'm doing here. He's going to be like, did you drop something, whatever? But I got so used to the culture that I did it. It was just a natural thing for me. So whenever I'm around, when I meet somebody in Korean culture, I try to somehow connect with that culture. That idea of trying to make them go, wow, it's a small world, isn't it? So that they've got some kind of connection with me at that point. So, so I did that quite often. Uh, when I pastored uh, a Filipino church, um, I ate Filipino food. And with Joel in Australia here, I'm, I'm, I hope I get this right, okay? I want to show you, that is a chocolate meat. Did I say that right? Is it dinuguan? Dinuguan? All right. So chocolate meat. I remember getting fed chocolate meat at one time. Now, first, let's be honest. Doesn't chocolate-covered meat sound nasty? I mean, chocolate-covered meat sounds good. You are some sick people, all right? So they fed me chocolate meat, and I tasted it, but I'm all ready to taste this chocolate-covered meat. That's not what it is, all right? All right, the version that I had, there are different versions of it. The version I had was chunks of pork boiled in ox blood. And so that's, what the, that's what the brown stuff is. Was, in that case, was ox blood. It could be pork blood, too. But it was all sorts of, so it had become thick and, and, and gooey and stuff like that. And uh, I ate it, learned to like it. Okay? But it was a little bit, if they told me right off the front what it was, I'm not sure if I would have eaten it or not. I still haven't done balut. I can't do balut, all right? If you don't know what balut is, ask Joel in Australia later. They'll, they'll tell you. I, I have not been offered it yet. And I'm, I'm dreading the day, because I would try it. But I don't know if I could keep it down or not. But we would see. But anyway, but that's the idea is you, do, you adapt things. Well, you know what? If, if we were coming out of a Jewish background, eating blood would be considered hugely wrong. But in the Filipino church where I was working, I learned not only to adapt to some of their cultures, but to appreciate some of the things that were there. It's something we do all the time for the purpose of serving God and spreading out the gospel. So, um, so anyway, let's take the chocolate meat. I've just blanked out that, that one right there. Okay, I don't want people just living there. Just blank it out. Just, hit, you, you just blank it out for me, okay? Let's just get rid of it. There we go. And let me find out where I am in my notes here, all right? They didn't start the timer, but I'm shooting for under 30 minutes here with this one, okay? This is, be praying for me. I'm going to try to shoot this for, for 30 minutes. So, uh, but i got to find out where I am now in my notes. Okay, here we go. Sorry, after they fell on the ground there. Um, now, let's be honest. Eating chocolate meat, bowing with shake hands with people, those, aren't, those are not difficult things. In fact, nobody was going to put in a question. Either way, I could have gone on that. Nobody would have questioned it. But let's put it back into our spiritual computer program. So let's go to the next slide now, all right? And let's go with what I call the gospel test. So we've had all these tests. All right, we're supposed to be able to go back now. Can we get back to the slide? Is it is not doing? All right. There we go, right there. What I call the gospel test. And here it is. It's in, it's in 1 Corinthians 9, 23, the last verse that we read. Now I do all things, I do all this because of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. So here's the next thing you would ask. The things that I do, this first three tests about things not to do. The second, this now is returning to things that you should do. What do I need to do now? Or how can I make my actions open up the door for sharing the gospel with someone? That's always the way. You don't want anything that you're doing or not doing to be a roadblock to the gospel here. Uh, now that plays almost, sorry, that plays almost to the opposite of the brother-sister test. Almost to the opposite. The brother-sister test said limit yourself so that you don't offend weaker Christians. The gospel test says do what may be uncomfortable to you or what may seem unnecessary to you so that you can connect with non-Christians and tell them about Jesus. For example, last week I mentioned that 
that when I worked in San Francisco with young people there, I did not go to, bar, to, to comedy clubs because most of them were in bars. And so I didn't, do, I didn't go to the comedy clubs because I didn't want a young person to see me coming out of a bar and thinking I was in there drinking. Now here in Fresno, all the, all the students that I have here, I think they know what my stance is on alcohol, or at least they should by now. All right, I've mentioned I'm a total teetotal. It's not a sermon on alcohol, but I'm just letting you know how I feel about it, okay? I'll be really honest. At the, at the Vons near my house, the shortcut to the bread aisle goes down a short aisle with wine on both sides. It actually still, I know I'm 66 years old. I know better than this. I know freedom in Christ. But it still gives me the heebie-jeebies when I walk down that aisle between the, between the two things. I just think, I, I don't even like it. It just, it just, I don't like it, okay? That's me. It just, I, 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 in fact, I will walk around it most times, not taking it. I know it's a scruple. It's just weird, but that's who I am. That's how strong my stance is. I hate how, what alcohol has done to so many people that I love, and I can name them. And I hate the grip it has on our culture. However, I have learned how to be comfortable around non-Christians in a social situation where they're drinking. Because... I don't want to come across them in judgment, and I'm not trying to come across you in judgment either. If you drink, that is between you and God. I would, my idea, you'd rather not, but Jesus is the one you got to talk with about that, not me. But um, for these non-Christians, I don't want to come to them in judgment. I want to come to them with the gospel. And so I've learned how to be comfortable with them in that kind of situation. So, for, I, for myself, I won't drink. It doesn't pass the mastery test for me. Well, I don't, know, I don't know if it would pass the mastery test for me, and I don't want to find out, to be honest. It sure doesn't pass the temple test for me, because anything that impairs your ability to think clearly is not good for your body. But it doesn't, and it doesn't pass the brother-sister test for me as a pastor, because I think it really would mess up people if they were to see me drink. But the gospel test tells me that I need, at, at times I need to learn to be comfortable in an uncomfortable situation with alcohol for the sake of the gospel. It doesn't mean that I have to take a drink if somebody offers it to me, because nobody's going to be offended. I, can go talk, I could go talk with somebody in a bar and drink water or Perrier or something like that, if you want to, you know, to be fancy, all right? Um, that kind of thing. Uh, but, um, but basically, I had to be comfortable with them doing those sort of things. Now, the situation might be different for you, and I'm not laying down a rule for all time. I am telling you, though, to think through your decisions using these filters here. That's what this is for, to help you use these filters to figure out, am I relating to people in a way that will help me communicate the gospel? And it's hard. You go too hard on the gospel, you judge people. You go too easy on the gospel, and Jesus', Jesus death doesn't mean anything. We've got to learn to walk that line, and these can help you. So before I wrap this up today, let me give you this thought. That this is not an excuse just to enter into sin. You can't do that for the sake of the gospel. Now I want you to consider these two verses. First one is from 1 Peter 2.16. Peter writes, Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil but as God's slaves. Use your freedom as God's slaves. That's what Peter said. You can't be, you're not free just to do evil. You're free to be God's slave. And then Paul writes back in Galatians, Galatians 5.13, 
For you are called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The flesh, when Paul uses it in this terms, means that sinful part of your nature, your sinful nature. But serve one another through love. We are free to be slaves to Christ. We are free to serve other people. And so let's wrap it up with this thought. The goal is the gospel. That's really what we're talking about here. Paul says that everything he does, he does for the sake of the gospel. It's an all-consuming passion for him. An all-consuming passion. And here's how the gospel becomes a perfect test of your wisdom in these actions. And I'm actually indebted to John Piper about this. I, as I was studying looking at this, I looked at what some other people said, and John Piper had a good way of looking at it. So let's look at two principles he talked about. He says, first, when you're looking at these activities, you've got to ask yourself, am I becoming more worldly-minded than the people I'm working with are becoming spiritually minded. In other words, which way is this flowing here? So in other words, is you can start, okay, let's say you've got friends that like to go up to, to, the, to Table Mountain or to Chansey, sorry, to gamble, and you go up there with them just to hang out with them, you're not going to gamble or whatever. Again, gambling is another one of those things. I, I'm not huge on gambling. It's just I don't play the lottery. I call it the government's tax on stupidity. Um, but, but you, but maybe you can, can you do, but if you're going up there and you start hanging out with that, or you've got some friends that even play penny any poker Friday nights and you go hang out with them, you got to ask yourself, after I've done that a few weeks with them, have I helped them become closer to God, move toward the gospel, or has it caused me to move away from the gospel? And if it's causing you to move away from the gospel, you cross the line and you're not able to handle that that well. But if you're helping them become more spiritual, I would say you're probably okay with, with God and what you're doing there. Second thing he said is, is your passion for winning your friends and family growing or is it shrinking as you become all things to them? And that's something interesting to think about. If it's shrinking, then you're probably not doing it under the law of Christ at that point. So those are just two little guidelines to help you think through that. All right, so... Back to this passage again. It's not about making people comfortable. Making people comfortable is a means to an end. It's not the end itself. We help make people comfortable so that we can get them to the end of the gospel. But our, jo- our task is not just to make people comfortable. It's not about being mature. I've grown as a Christian. I've learned I can do these things in my freedom. It's not about showing how strong you are as a Christian. And it's certainly not about being cool. Well, I can talk with that because I'm cool with sinners and I'm able, to, I'm able to handle these kind of things. It's not about any of those things. It's about making disciples of people who don't know Jesus. That's our, first, that's our number one job. And you do what you do to help people who don't know Jesus come to know him and grow as disciples. But it's also about making disciples of people who already know Jesus. So people helping them grow also and that includes you. In this process, you should be growing as a Christian as well. So I want you to think about that. Here's, listen to it again. The goal is about making disciples of those who don't know Jesus, making better disciples of those who do know Jesus, including yourself. One more time. It's about making disciples of those who don't know Jesus and making better disciples of those who do know Jesus, including yourself. You know, so as I think about that, I, I, I'm going to change the thing. I said the goal is the gospel. 
and as I was thinking this through, I actually changed my mind at some point in the sermon. I said, actually, the goal is the glory of God. That's really what we're ultimately there for. That's why we exist. And it's found in the last verse out of, that we're going to look at out of 1 Corinthians. It's chapter 10, verse 31. I don't have a long time to go into that. I think it's 31 and 32. So whether you eat or drink, eating meat offered to idols, drinking alcohol, whatever, whatever you eat, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. And then Paul says, give no offense to Jews or Greeks and don't offend the church of God. He says, just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. When Paul said in, verse, in chapter 9, he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I might participate in the blessings of the gospel. That sounds sort of self-serving, but he brings it back here saying, no, I try to please everyone, not to be a people pleaser, that's wrong, but I tr please people not to seek my own benefit, but it might benefit them so that they might be saved. That's his ultimate thing, glorifying God by having people come to know him. So let me wrap it up with this. Do everything for the glory of God, not for your own benefit. In fact, it is, de is, it is in denying your own benefit that this principle reaches its highest purpose and value. We seek the benefit of others and not of our own benefit so that they may be able to come, come to know the God of all mercy, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that they might be saved from their sins and that they also might know the freedom of being under the law of Christ, just as we do. So let's put that last test into our program. There you go. There's all five of them right there. Does it have mastery over you? Then it's a no. Is it bad for your temple? It's a no. Does it hurt your brother or sister in Christ? It's a no. Does it help you communicate the gospel? It's a yes. Does it help your life glorify God and help other people glorify God? Then it's a yes. If you follow those guidelines, no matter what situation might be great to it, that's going to help you figure out, can I do this? Is God okay with me behaving in this way? So let's look at your response. What do I expect from you guys out of this? First, I want to encourage you very much to study your Bibles, to learn what is okay and what is not okay as a Christ follower. Because there's a lot of gray stuff that might seem gray to us, but there's principles in the Bible about that. Okay? There really are about sexual sin, about language, about, uh, about how we treat others. So, like, you could never, you know, Paul would never say, all right, to be, to be mean to these people over here because that's going to help you identify with these people who are being mean to them so that you can identify with them. Back to that racism kind of thing. You would never do that. So there's certain laws of love and certain law of Christ that we do have to follow. But second, look for opportunities to engage with non-Christians. If you're not around non-Christians at some point, then you need to get out there more. You need to be out there and make connections. Remember me telling you the time about, it's just the craziest thing. I took a jazz dance class one time when I was in my 20s to meet non-Christians. It was the dumbest thing I've ever done. Nobody wanted to see me trying to do any jazz dance moves. It was just, it, it was just so wrong. But I did it to meet non-Christians, to meet, to try to, to try to, find more opportunity to share the gospel. Um, trust me, nobody when they saw me dance wouldn't have anything to do with me, but I was still trying. 
All right? Third, check yourself to make sure that you are influencing rather than being influenced. You always have to do that. Am I growing in my relationship with Christ because of these things that I'm doing there? Fourth, be sensitive to, the, to other cultures. And that just doesn't mean just racial or ethnic cultures. It can mean all sorts of different cultures. When I, on the times that I try to talk to, to people who are homeless, there's a homeless culture. And I try to be sensitive to that. And so doing that when you're doing, and, and asking God how much you enter into that kind of world where they're living. Then finally, and most importantly, share the gospel wherever you can. Remember, our purpose is in this, is it so that they may come to know the God of all mercy, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, so that they may be saved from their sins, and that they may know, as we do, the freedom of being a slave of Christ. Let's pray. Father, these are hard words, Father, and I know, I, I so much, Father, wish I just had black and white, that that was all we ever dealt with in this world. But Father, I can see that you've given us things sometimes that just seem great to our limited minds. But thank you, Father, that the Holy Spirit works with us. Thank you for the guidance of the Holy Spirit as he helps us navigate these things. And Father, as we move out of this place of worship, out into the mission field that you call Fresno in the Central Valley, Father, help us to know how to be under the law of Christ, to love other people, to serve you, and to modify our actions in a way that will bring you the most glory as people come to know you as we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.